more than ever, we need to discover the ministry God has for us. Listen to Adrian Rogers. In spite of all of the debauchery and sin, there is a turning to spiritual things. People have tried sin and found out that they've been feeding on husks and sawdust, and uh, it's all just a, a mouthful of ashes. And they're asking one more time, is Jesus Christ the answer? Is this book true? Is there hope in the Lord Jesus Christ? And there's a strange new hunger in the land. The hour is desperate, the hour is ripe, and the hour is late. And the sands of time are running low, and we're in a race against sin, against Satan, against self. And we need to find out what is the ministry that our Lord has for us. Welcome to Love Worth Finding, featuring real truth that never changes. Pastor, teacher, and author Adrian Rogers said, We're in the business of serving the Lord, and God has given to every one of us a ministry. As we mature in our faith, we're called to find our place of service. The days we're living in are desperate. It's time we discover our individual ministry to serve the body of Christ. There are four principles to remember as we discern our place of service in our faith community. If you have your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 12 as Adrian Rogers begins part one of Discovering Your Ministry. Now, sometimes we think that God divides people in a more artificial way than He does between laity and clergy. Clergy refers to those of us who are the professionals, and the laity uh, refers to those who are in the pew, who in the minds of some don't do much. Somebody asked a little girl, what is the difference between the laity and the clergy? And the little girl said, well, the clergy are paid for being good, the laity are good for nothing. <laughs> now, the problem is, the problem is, I think a professional clergy and a good-for-nothing laity, both of them are an abomination to God. We're in the business of serving the Lord, and God has given to every one of us a ministry. As a matter of fact, we're going to read in Romans chapter 12, the first couple of verses, about what He calls your reasonable service. Do you know what that literally means in the Greek language? A literal interpretation is your logical ministry. Your logical ministry. That's literally what it refers to. Uh, God has, it's, it's logical that God would put you into the ministry. Now, so many Christians are just floundering in their Christian life. I mean, they don't have any true fulfillment. And they're wanting to know, what does God want me to do? If God has a ministry for me, what is my ministry? I don't want to just sit, soak, and sour. I want to serve. But frankly, Pastor, I don't have a ministry. I wouldn't know uh, what I'm equipped to do. And if I found that out, I wouldn't know how to do it. And I tell you, it's time that we discovered our ministry, not only as a church, but as an individuals. The hour, friend, in which we're living is desperate. This is a desperate day. Militant atheism is on the march. We need something. We need a revival that cannot be explained by philosophy or psychology or promotion or propaganda. And I'll tell you something else. Moral standards have toppled. I've never seen anything like it. Today we have movie stars who have faces like angels and morals like alley cats. They're the ones that are setting the standard for our children. We have glamorized adultery. We've liquorized society and humanized God. And yet, in the churches, there's so many people who sit unconcerned and apathetic. I'm telling you, the hour is desperate and the hour is ripe. 
Did you know what I'm seeing? I'm seeing today, in spite of all of the debauchery and sin, an awakening hunger. There is a turning to spiritual things. People have tried sin and found out that they've been feeding on husks and sawdust, and uh, it's all just a, a mouthful of ashes. And they're asking one more time, is Jesus Christ the answer? Is this book true? Is there hope in the Lord Jesus Christ? And there's a strange new hunger in the land. The hour is desperate, the hour is ripe, and the hour is late. And the sands of time are running low, and we're in a race against sin, against Satan, against self. And we need to find out what is the ministry that our Lord has for us. Now, I want to give you four principles. And these four principles for discovering your ministry. I'm not talking about uh, going to pastor a church somewhere, but your ministry in your neighborhood, in your business, in your family, uh, whatever the ministry is, there are four principles. Principle number one is the principle of lordship. All right, did you get that? Write it down, the principle of lordship. Look, if you will, in verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Remember, that literally means your logical ministry. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good, and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, that's what you want to know. You want to know the will of God for your life. Now, look at this. Let's break it down. First of all, the request. Notice how it begins, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Now, it's almost as if Jesus Christ is on His knees through the Apostle Paul praying to us. So many times we pray to Him. But here's God's request to us, I beseech you. Now, we're beseeching God to do something, but God is also beseeching us to do something. Have you ever wondered why God may not answer your prayer? I wonder if you've answered His request. Have you presented yourself? You see, this if we don't hear God's Word, why should God hear our Word? And so, first of all, I want you to notice the request. And then I want you to notice the reasons. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by, because of, the mercies of God. Now, if you think that it's uh, something unusual or something difficult for you to bow the knee to Jesus Christ, you've never seen the mercies of God. Listen to me, friend. When we were rebels, sin-cursed and darkened, on our way to hell, God in mercy sought us. He has saved us. He has secured us. All of this is the mercy of God. We are His. We are not our own. We are bought with a price. Let me tell you what consecration is. Listen carefully. If you don't hear anything else, I want you to hear this. Consecration is not giving God anything. It is taking your hands off of that which already belongs to Him. Did you hear that? You are not your own, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You are bought with a price. Now, the request, I beseech you, the reason, the mercies of God, the requirement that ye present your bodies. That is, you present yourself. He's not going to make you do it. Uh, there are no draftees in our Lord's army. Every one of them is a volunteer. You are to present yourself a living sacrifice. That's your requirement. Now, notice this sacrifice. First of all, it is personal. You present yourself. I can't do it for you. You can't do it for me. You don't need to ask, Lord, what would you have Adrian to do out there? But each one of us must say, Lord, today I present myself 
It is personal. And let me say this, you present yourself a sacrifice. Do you know what a sacrifice was? That was an animal that was slain and put on an altar. Are you willing to present yourself a sacrifice today? The reason many of you don't have a ministry and the reason that many don't know the will of God and you don't know the power of God and you don't know the anointing of God, you're not willing to die. You're not willing to be a living sacrifice. An altar is a place to die on. And you know what that means? That means that when you die you have no more rights of yourself. Your wife, your husband, your children, your car, your home, your ambitions, your education, your business, it all belongs to Him. God doesn't want you to take Him into your business as your partner. He's your boss. He owns it. I mean it is His. And you're to do it wholly. H-O-L-Y is related to the word W-H-O-L-L-Y, which means completely, totally, completely. You can't just have half a sacrifice. God will not accept half a sacrifice. You are to present yourself a living sacrifice, holy, and that means acceptable unto Him. There was an evangelist of yesteryear whose name was Wilbur Chapman who was talking to William Booth who founded the Salvation Army. William Booth was mightily used of God. Chapman asked William Booth, General Booth, God has used you in a great way. What is the secret of God's use of you? And old General Booth moved the hair out of his face and looked through those piercing eyes, and here's what he said, God has had all there was of me. God has had all there was of me. There have been men of greater brains, greater opportunities than I, but from the day I had a vision of what God could do with poor old London, I made up my mind that God would have all there is of William Booth. Boy, when I read that I had to ask, uh, do you have all there is of Adrian Rogers? You ask, does God have all there is of me? Ask it. Are you just playing church? You come as a Sunday morning bench warmer and think you've done God a while service. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, personal, slain, whole, and bound. Did you know that this freshly slain animal would be covered with blood and would be very slippery? So when they would put the animal on the sacrifice, they had two flesh hooks that would bind it to the altar, into that flesh, to keep it from sliding off the altar. Do you find that when you come to a service somebody will preach, you'll say, yes, Lord, I want to present my body a living sacrifice, and that lasts until you get home and after Sunday dinner and you've forgotten all about it? I'll tell you why. There are two flesh hooks. You know what they are? Devotion and discipline. Devotion and discipline that will keep you on the altar. You know what's wrong with most American Christians today? The reason they don't have a ministry, the reason they don't know the will of God, the reason that they are not used of God? I'll tell you one reason. Self. Self. They don't want to get bound down. They don't want to be a sacrifice. Now they want the blessings. They come to the church and say, Lord bless me, Lord entertain me, Lord amuse me, Lord inform me. But they don't want to be on that altar bound down. There are some of you here today who ought to be members of this church or some church, but you're not. You know what you are? You're a drop-in, drop-out type of person. 
You say, you know, if I come down there and go down and put my name on the membership roll and get involved, man, I might want to be away for a few Sundays. I might want to do this. I, I don't want to be bound down. I don't want to be bound down. That's the reason you don't join a church. You don't want to be bound. That's the reason that some of you won't take a Sunday school class. Because if you want to go to the lake on Sunday, you don't want to be bound. Well, I'll tell you one thing about a sacrifice, friend. It's bound to the altar. It's bound to the altar. And we wonder why we do not know the will of God in our lives. And I'll tell you something else. When that sacrifice is presented... Willingly, when it is a whole sacrifice, when it is put on the altar, when it is bound to the altar. Do you know what happens? It's consumed. Do you know what worship is? Worship is putting yourself on the altar and letting God consume you. Has He ever consumed you? I mean, till there's none of you and it's all of Him. That He has consumed you. That is worship. Letting him consume the sacrifice. And there is an incense, a savor that goes up as we're presented upon that altar. Let me tell you what's going to happen when you present yourself this way. What is going to be the result? I've talked to you about the reasons and uh, the requirement. What is the result? Well, look at it here. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. The first result will be transformation by the renewing of your mind, the second will be information or revelation. Those two things are going to take place. There's going to be a change in you. Be transformed. This word transformed is the word we get our English word metamorphosis from. It comes from two words, and meta, which means a change, and morphos, which means a form. It is a change of form. You will be transformed. You will be metamorphized when you do this. When you present yourself upon that altar and the fire consumes you, then you are transformed. You're transformed. You're not conformed, squeezed into the mold of this world, but you are transformed. Form. Now, what is a metamorphosis? Well, when you took biology in junior high school, you learned that word. One of the first big words you ever learned was metamorphosis. I can remember almost like it was yesterday uh, learning about that word, metamorphosis. It just intrigued me. You take a, a, a caterpillar who crawls up into a cocoon, and he goes through a what? A metamorphosis, and he comes out a beautiful monarch butterfly. Now, what is the nature of that uh, caterpillar? It is a monarch butterfly. The inner nature comes to the surface. That's what a metamorphosis is. The same word, metamorphosis or transformed, was used of Jesus when he was transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember reading there that Jesus took his disciples apart up into the exceeding high mountain, Peter, James, and John. And then the Bible says, and there he was, he was transfigured. Friend, that word transfigured is the same word that is used transformed right here. Now, what does it mean transfigured? Well, Jesus, had you seen Jesus walking down the streets, you would not have recognized him as unusual. I mean, you would have walked right past him. Judas had to point him out so they could take him in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Bible says when we see him, there's no form to comeliness, no beauty that we should desire him. No, I'm telling you folks, he was a common, ordinary person. 
And if you saw him, uh, you would not have picked him out of the crowd. That's very clear. There was nothing un that distinct about him. But on that Mount of Transfiguration, the Bible says that he began to glow like the sun, and his garments, his clothes became white as snow, and there was a radiance about him. Now, what was the inner nature of Jesus? Deity. And there he was metamorphosed. The inner nature came to the surface. What is the inner nature of a Christian? Jesus. Now, what the devil is trying to do is to stuff Jesus in. He doesn't want Jesus to come out. So he's trying to conform you so you won't be transformed, metamorphosed, so your inner nature will not come to the surface. The inner nature of a Christian is Jesus. Jesus. And when you present yourself a living sacrifice, then you are transformed, metamorphosed. The inner nature, which is Jesus, comes to the surface and people see Jesus. I want people to see Jesus in me. Don't you want people to see Jesus in you? <laughs> the little boy says to his dad, he said, Dad, is, is Jesus bigger than I am? Dad said, well, yes, son, I guess he is. He said, well, then, God, if Jesus is in me, he'll stick out, won't he? <laughs> he sure will. <laughs> if you let him, he will stick out. People will see the Lord Jesus, the inner nature of a Christian is Jesus. Now, when there comes that transformation, then there comes that revelation. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now watch this, that ye may prove, that is, that you may know what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And then look, if you will, as he continues to talk in the same train. Verse 3, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly, underscore the word think, more highly than he ought to think, underscore the word think again, but to think soberly, underscore the word think for the third time, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now, listen, when you're metamorphosed, you have the mind of Christ. No longer your mind, it is the mind of Jesus. That's your inner nature. Now, why did God renew your mind? So you could think with it. So you could think with it. So, after he talks about the renewing of your mind, he says, think, think, think. Don't be afraid to use your mind. Be afraid not to use your mind. You have the mind of Christ. The will of God is found between your ears when you get right with God. You can think, not in sinful exaggeration, more highly than you ought to think, not in false humiliation saying, I don't have a gift, because he says, I say by the grace given unto me to every man that is among you. Not in sinful exaggeration, false humiliation, but in sober estimation. Listen, the first thing, therefore, is lordship. When, when you present yourself to him a living sacrifice, you're transformed, you get the mind of Christ, you are able to use the mind of Christ, and you're able to make assessments that you could never make before, and you think, you think, and you think, not with human rationality, not with human intellect, not with human intuition, but with divine guidance, you are transformed. You have now the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ. Second principle, first one, lordship. Second principle is membership. Look, if you will, now. 
Verse 4, For as we have many members in one body, that is, your body sitting there has many members, eyes, ears, nose, feet, hands, lung, liver, alright? As we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, that is, my hand doesn't do what my eye does, my eye doesn't do what my ears do, my ears don't do what my feet do, and so forth. They have not the same office. So we being many, listen, are one body. The church is not an organization with Jesus Christ the president. The church is an organism with Jesus Christ the head. He is the head. We are one body in Christ, and everyone members one of another. I belong to you, and you belong to me, because we both belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to me, folks. You want to know why many of you don't know your ministry? Because you've tried to find it apart from the body of Christ. What arrogance. What conceit. What pride. Don't you understand? His Lordship and our membership, we need one another. To say that you don't need other Christians is sheer pride consummate arrogance. God made us different. Like our bodies, we don't all have the same office. Why did God make us different? God made us different that He might make us one. God made it where I am not supposed to be able to get along without you. You're not supposed to be able to get along without me any more than my eyes could get along without the rest of my body or my ears could get along without the rest of my body or my hands could get along without the rest of my body or my feet could get along without the rest of my body or all of this could get along without my liver or my lungs and sometimes parts of our body that seem more obvious and more needful are not the most valuable. Your right hand. I hear people say, I'd give my right arm for this. I'd give my right arm for that. Well, that'd be a big sacrifice. But friend, I tell you what, I'd rather give up my right arm than my liver. You'd think about it if it weren't there. We're different, but God made us different that God might make us one, and God made us where we could not be independent one of another. And coming up Monday, you'll hear part two of this vital message. And if you'd like to learn more about how to cultivate a faith that flourishes, we invite you to check out our Grow Your Faith page at the website. You can get grounded and dig deeper in your walk with Christ right there. Go to lwf.org slash radio and click on the tab that says, Grow Your Faith. We can't wait to hear from you today. Now, if you'd like to order a copy of this message in its entirety, call us at one love god Mention the title, Discovering Your Ministry. This message is also part of the insightful series, Foundations for Our Faith, for that complete three-volume collection, all 27 powerful messages, call 877-LOVE-GOD, or you can order online at lwf.org radio, or write us at Love Worth Finding, Box 38600, Memphis, Tennessee, 38183. You can also purchase our new Bible studies, much like this message, in our online store, for more, go to the website lwf.org radio. Well, thanks for studying in God's Word with us today. If you'd like to start receiving daily devotions and links to the program, which are really encouraging, sign up for our daily Heartbeat emails. You can do that at the website lwf.org radio. And join us Monday for the insightful conclusion of Discovering Your Ministry right here 
on Love Worth Finding. One of our Facebook friends left this comment on a recent post. Adrian Rogers' teachings are so remarkable and his legacy is remarkable. He walked the walk and talked the talk. He was a true man of God. You know, at Love Worth Finding, our mission is to continue that legacy of Pastor Rogers and drawing people to Jesus, as well as helping believers grow deeper in their faith. But thank you for your support right now. We'd love to send you the new More Than Conquerors Bible Study. Are you just surviving life until you get to heaven, going through the motions? That's not the Christian life God wants you to live. In this eight-week study on the book of Romans, Adrian Rogers shows how to live in the victory you've been given in Christ Jesus. Request this resource when you call with a gift at 1-877-LOVE-GOD or give at the website lwf.org radio. And thanks for your generous support of love worth finding.